This morning we're going to be wrapping up a series in the book of Proverbs that we've been going through for the last several weeks. And um, we've been looking at different topics that kind of spring out of the book of Proverbs and seeing what Scripture has to say about these different topics. Um, This morning the topic that we're going to look at is the idea of justice. If you have been following the news at all lately, you you may have heard terms like social justice, criminal justice, environmental justice, racial justice, economic, should I keep going? All kinds of terms that tag justice onto the end of it. And it's really, it's kind of easy to get lost in all of these different ideas and different terms. But lucky for you, this morning, I am going to clear them all up in one sermon, all right? No, no, no. Of course not. That, that would be impossible. What I do hope to accomplish this morning is for us to ask ourselves as believers, how should we be thinking about these topics? How should we be thinking about the idea of justice? Uh, if you already find yourself thinking about justice in your day-to-day life, my, my hope for the message that I have this morning is that it would encourage you to think even more biblically about the topic and the, the idea of justice. And Maybe you come to the realization this morning that I don't think about justice at all. I hope that the message this morning will, will ignite something inside of your heart to think about it. And more importantly, to think about it the way God thinks about it. I don't plan on addressing any specific areas of justice, any one theme or anything like that. I don't want to stand up here and say that one cause is better than another. Um, I think God gives us convictions. He's given us personalities and experiences in different ways for each of us. And I think that's important. I think when we work together as a body, as a church, we picture what God is doing in this world. And so to narrow that down to one idea, I think, is unhelpful. And so I will be speaking broadly, but I expect that God will be speaking to you. The Spirit will be telling you, this is my area. This is what I've made you to be thinking about. So my hope for our time this morning is that the message will help you to think and act more faithfully on those convictions that God might give you. Okay? Let's pray. Our Father, standing up here is nerve-wracking. Pray, Lord, that your truth would come through, that what is unhelpful would go away, that what is of you would stick, that you would be honored by the opening of your word, that you would be pleased to see our hearts as we sing, our hearts as we listen, that you would reorient our thoughts in this area of justice, Lord, so that as we go forth, we would honor you, not only with our thoughts, but with our actions, that we might accurately represent you, that we might show a lost world your son, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you don't have a bulletin, you're going to want to get one. There's a lot of verses on there this morning. So let's go right into it. What is justice? If you open the dictionary or in this day and age, you go to dictionary.com, you see that justice is defined as the quality of being just. Well, thanks, dictionary.com. That's not too helpful. (laughs) Follows that up with righteousness, equitableness, or moral rightness. The secondary definition that it gives is rightfulness or lawfulness. And so justice is this quality of being in the right. Okay, if something is the way it should be, 
then we say that it's just. And if something is the way it shouldn't be, then we would say that is unjust or unjust. When we look past the, the regular dictionary, we look into Scripture, we have a few different words in Scripture that represent this idea of justice. You see a few of them there in your outline. There's a couple in the Hebrew and one in the Greek that uh, convey this idea of justice. But interestingly, in, in English, we don't see justice, the word justice, in our Bible very often representing these words. More often, we see these words that I have here in your outline. Righteousness, justify, judgment. And so I looked up in a Bible dictionary just kind of trying to aggregate the meanings of these words And one author said this, justice is an action or decree that establishes what is right. An action or decree that establishes what is right. But as we consider the idea of justice this morning, I don't want us to just think about an action, like in abstract, some action out there that someone else does. I want us to think about our actions, my actions, and my thoughts And so a helpful way for us to think about justice this morning is what I have here. Justice is doing what God says is the right thing to do. And for us, that would be fueled by thinking about things the way God would be thinking about them. If we're not thinking about issues like God is thinking about them, we won't act like God would act in those issues. Does that make sense? All right. This morning we're going to look at three distinguishing features of biblical justice. Uh, these, these three features that I want to highlight for us are not the features or the only or the special ones. They're just three that I thought would be helpful for us to understand justice and, and frame it helpfully for us. And then I want to look at three ways that we might grow in how we, we desire to seek justice. So point number one in your outline, justice brings forth the kingdom of God. To really understand this point, I want to make sure we understand what I mean by when I say the kingdom of God, okay? When we look at Scripture, we look at the end of Scripture, we see the account of this new kingdom that God is going to bring to earth. Right now, our lives are, we experience them as we do. Sin is here. Death is here. And that's a product of the fall. But one day, God is going to undo that. And he's going to rewrite the world as we know it. He's going to bring forth a kingdom where he rules with his people. He will be here with us, and there will be no more sin, and there will be no more death. Amen? So for for this moment, that is the kingdom, this physical place that will be here, and God will be with us, and sin will be no more. And what I'm saying is that justice and acting justly, literally justice is the tool that God uses to bring that day to come to pass. If we look at the whole story of Scripture, like let's just, the whole story from beginning to end in one short story. You start in Genesis and you see a creation. There's God. He makes the world. He puts people in it. And everything is good. Yes? Okay. Well, people have an opportunity and they fail. And they bring sin into that good place. After they experience sin, the rest of the Bible... It's pretty much the description of what life is like living in sin. There was a good thing that God made without sin, and now we see a lot about what it looks like to live with sin. And in the future, God is going to fix that again. Amen. Do you see that? 
There was something that was right, it was broken, and God will fix it and make it right again. That is justice. Taking what is wrong and making it right. And so what is God doing? Excuse me, what is God doing in this grand plan? He's practicing justice. He's fixing what is broken. When we look at Scripture from this high-level perspective, we see that God's writing one story, one long battle for ultimate justice that will ultimately culminate in a new kingdom. And so that brings us to to letter A there in your outline. One day God will restore ultimate justice to our broken world. Is that encouraging to you? I hope it is. Justice is important to God. God is using justice to bring forth his kingdom. When we look at the story of scripture from that high level, we see that. We see God using justice in that way. But not only does he, does he look at it in that high-level view, but at every step along the way, justice is still the thing that God uses to bring that overall story to come to pass. And I want to look at some of those things. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 14. Where we are in the story is that Adam and Eve have fallen to temptation. They've eaten of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. And now God is pronouncing the the curse, the result, the consequences of that action that they took. In verse 14, the Bible says this, chapter 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, he's talking to the serpent who deceived the man and the woman, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Where is justice in this? It's right there in verse 15. Go back. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. The offspring of the serpent are those that will follow him, those that will those follow Satan. And the offspring of the woman is Christ. You look at the lineage of Jesus and it goes all the way back to Eve. And what does he say? He, Jesus, shall bruise your head. That's a significant blow. That's a significant strike. But you shall only bruise his heel. That's an insignificant blow. And so from the very beginning, in the pronouncement of this curse, we see this seed of justice that will come when Christ comes. Satan misled Adam and Eve, but even here in the garden, God is already showing us a glimpse of how he will bring justice to this situation. The seed of the woman will crush, will bruise the head of the serpent. So we see it here in the beginning of Scripture, We look forward, let's say, like to the Gospels, to the life of Jesus. And you think he went out, he was baptized, he started his ministry. And what was one of the interesting things that he did as part of his ministry was he went out casting out demons. Think about the power struggle that this paints. There is sin and and Satan in this world, and Satan has power and sin has power in this world. And Jesus comes to earth as a man, and he literally starts taking back ground. From Satan. There are people and areas and places 
where Satan has a hold. Demons are possessing people. And Jesus literally comes and says, I see you there, demon. Get out of here and go there. This was your area. This is mine now. Jesus comes and brings justice to these areas, to these people, to these situations. And he says, what was wrong is now made right because of the work that I am doing. Do you see that? Then we look to the end of Scripture. Revelation chapter 20 says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and, day and night forever and ever. See ya, Satan. Ultimate justice. Chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. The ultimate making right of what sin has made wrong in our world. Justice matters to God. We see it in the beginning in the garden. We see it in the middle in the life of Jesus. And we see it at the end in the coming of the kingdom. He wrote a whole Bible that shows us that he's going to restore ultimate justice to our broken world. He wrote this, he's writing the salvation story. And justice is involved at each step of the way. Why am I belaboring this point? I think it's important that we pause and recognize that God sees the whole story at once. As we experience things in life, as we consider justice and injustice, good and bad, right and wrong, we need to remember that God has an ultimate plan for justice. The things that we experience are not just out there floating in the ether. God has purposes and plans, and he sees the whole story. If we get overwhelmed by the daily issues of life and we forget about the big picture, we're going to lose sight of our true hope. God is in control. And that should bring us peace. And that should give us comfort. And so we see that God is writing a big picture. He's he's writing a big story. And justice is the thing that's driving us toward that kingdom. And so, okay, we get it. God cares about justice. What does that have to do with us? I'm glad you asked. Number two in your outline. God desires that his people seek justice. This isn't just about God doing what God's going to do. In his wisdom, he's called us to do this work with him. Look at some of the verses you have there. Proverbs 1, 1 through 3. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness and justice and equity. This book that we've been going through for the last several weeks says it right in the front. Verse 
1 through 3. This book was written so that we might receive instruction in righteousness and justice and equity. What are you going to do with the instruction? Do something with it, right? This isn't just information. It's for us to go out and implement. Proverbs 28.5, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Wow. Those who seek the Lord will understand justice completely. Micah 6.8 is probably one of the more popular verses you would see somebody quoting about justice. In the context, the prophet is actually pronouncing a judgment on the nation of Israel. And Israel kind of fights back and says, how can we undo this? We don't want to be judged. Can we bring sacrifices? Can we bring offerings? And this is what the prophet tells them. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I think all of each of these ideas can be reaffirmed for us throughout all of Scripture. And I think this shows God's heart. He wants for us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with him. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25. Matthew says this. He records this account from Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's our word there, dikaiosune. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Look at how practically God is saying this. Don't worry about the physical things. Seek the kingdom. Seek God's righteousness. Seek God's justice. That's our word. And all the physical stuff will be taken care of for you. Think about this, brothers. God is writing a story of ultimate justice, and he chose you to help him achieve that goal. And you don't even have to worry about food or clothes. He's going to take care of that. He could have done it without us, but he's given us the privilege of seeking justice in this world while we're here. He's given us the privilege of doing it alongside him. What a privilege. What a privilege. So the second feature of biblical justice that I want to highlight for us was that God desires that we do it with him, that we seek justice. Number three in your outline, 
Biblical justice produces practical results. Proverbs 24, Proverbs 24, 24 says, Whoever says to the wicked, you're in the right, will be cursed by the peoples, abhorred by nations. But, to, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and good blessing will come upon them. You see, speaking up for injustice there. Proverbs 29, 7, the righteous, that's our justice word there, the righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. It's pretty specific. The just, the righteous, are concerned for the rights of the poor. If you're still in Matthew, I'm going to read from chapter 25. Let me turn over to 25. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a, sep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There's a tongue twister, huh? And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come to you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you see, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when do we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Does God care about our concerns? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does God care about these issues of justice? Absolutely. And so this third point, biblical justice produces practical results. Results that will honor God and serve the needs of others. So to recap these three ideas that I've wanted to look at about biblical justice. The first was that it brings forth the kingdom of God. The second was that it desires that his people seek it. And the third is that it produces practical results. So now that we see why justice is important, let's look at how we can grow in our understanding and our appreciation of it. I have three ideas that I hope you'll find helpful. Number one, the first way you can grow in your understanding is learn more about God's character. What's the best way we can learn about God's character? Read your Bible, right? Like Pastor Brad says, how much of it? All of it. Hi, Pastor Brad. Read your Bible. Proverbs 9.10 in your outline says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Essentially what I'm thinking here in this point is that God has called us to do justice with Him, for Him, in His name. And we can't do that well unless we know what He is about. He is sending us to do His work. And if we want to do that well, then we need to understand Him. And we do that by going to his word. We do that 
by understanding his character. One interesting thing is that he's already equipped us to do this work. He made us in his image. And when he made us in his image, he gave us some of his character qualities that we can use to do this justice. He gave us mercy. He gave us love. We understand grace. We can exercise these character qualities that we share with God. Turn with me to Psalm 139. We're learning about God's character, learning more about God's character. And I think Psalm 39 is important because it shows us that God has this big, powerful way about him, but it shows us that he cares about me at the same time. We're talking big ideas right now, right? Justice, right, wrong. And it can be, I think it can be easy to get lost in that's out there. That's God who's big and and away from me. But look at Psalm 139. Let's just start at the beginning. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. That could be good or bad for you, right? Depending on where you stand with the Lord. That's big, powerful God. But then look at like at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. We can get overwhelmed with thinking about how big God is and how big God's agenda is. But this psalm is a good reminder that he cares about me, that he cares about us. He isn't just concerned with this big eschatological justice. He's concerned about you and I. That's encouraging, and that helps me to trust him more. So the more I understand God's character, the better I can be at seeking justice, the better I can represent him. Number two, second way we can grow in our understanding of justice is to intentionally grow in humility. The first point I have there is, how can we do that? How can we grow in humility? We can begin by recognizing that we're finite. There are limits to what we can know and do. God gave us some character qualities that we share with him, but he, did, he, gave us, he didn't give us some other ones. God knows everything. We don't. God can be everywhere. We can't. And so by the, by the way God made us and the nature that he gave us, there's only so much we can understand and do. And as we go about our days, our judgments are only as good as the amount of information that we have to make judgments with. If we recognize that, I think it should cause us to pause. As we think about issues of justice and injustice, what's good and bad and right and wrong, 
in our life throughout our day, we should be recognizing that we don't know everything. I mean, if you're making the decision of what color shoes you want to wear that morning, no big deal. Not a whole lot of wisdom from God needed there, right? But if you're considering adopting someone, that's a lot of wisdom needed. Stop. Recognize that you don't have all the information and seek God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about that. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. It seems to me that we're really good at believing and trusting our own opinions. You agree? <laughs> it's pretty easy to do. If we believe what Paul is saying here, we should be pausing and examining those opinions. We should be pausing and examining those motives and asking, is this what you would have for me, Lord? The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And so this, this first point of how we grow in humility is that we recognize we're finite, recognize that we have limits. We don't know everything. The second way we can grow in humility Letter B, fight the thoughts that make us think that God is unjust. Human beings are emotional creatures, and that's a good thing. That's how God made us. But we need to be careful how much we trust our emotions. When we see something in life that is unjust, and it makes us question whether or not God really is just, I think we need to pause. We need to pause and examine our heart. So what am I talking about? When you, poverty, hunger, sickness, suffering. When you see these things in the world and you see that they're not changing, you might be tempted to question God's justice. You might be tempted to think something like, wow, God, it seems like I care more about this thing than you do. But if Scripture is true and God is just, then our emotional questioning can't be right in that moment. And that should set off a red flag for us. My emotions are telling me something that my Bible tells me is false. Stop, pause, examine. In that moment, we need to do hard work. We need to fight the feelings that our body and our mind are telling us. And we need to think about it the way God would think about it. We need to remember that God sees the whole story. He has the whole story in mind. The third way we can grow in humility, let us see, we can pray for our enemies. I use that word loosely, enemies. Kind of this was the thought. Think about this. If God is trustworthy and powerful and able to fix whatever it is that you're facing, whatever injustice that you see in front of you, wouldn't you be praying to him? I see blank stares. Yeah? If God is powerful and you're looking at an issue of, justice, of injustice and he can change that, we should pray to him, right? Yes, absolutely. He can change it. Why wouldn't we? But if you've convinced yourself that God is not able 
to change whatever injustice is in front of you, you won't be praying about it anymore. Why pray? He's not going to do anything about it. He doesn't care. I've prayed about that for years. He hasn't changed it. So I stopped praying about it because it's off of God's radar. When we stop believing he can do something, we stop praying. And so what am I saying here by, by this idea of praying for your enemies? What I'm saying is pray. <laughs> Don't give up that fight. Whatever it is or whoever it is that's telling you that God is unjust is wrong. Trust what Scripture tells us. Trust that he has the whole story. Trust that he has the big picture in mind. Do not stop praying. Fight to keep your faith through the act of prayer. Hold on and pray, trusting that God is hearing and that he has the whole story in mind. Number three in your outline, third way we can grow in our understanding of justice is to love Christ more and to love like Christ more. There in your outline it says, the more personally we know Christ, the more inclined we will be to trust him when injustice closes in on us. You see, at the end of the day, in the world the way we live, systems will fail. Political movements will fade. People will come and go. And anything in this world that we lean on to motivate us to seek justice will ultimately fall short. If you're impassioned by this movement or that cause, eventually that's going to go away. And then what happens to your desire to seek justice? Jesus is the only thing that we can rely on to take care of us when we are seeking to act justly. He's the only one that's not going to change. And he has values and he has things that are close to his heart and that he's concerned about. The more we get to know him, the more we love him, the more we desire to serve him, the more inclined we'll be to trust him. He'll be our strength and our comfort. And let her be. How can we do this better? How can we grow our heart for justice? We can love like Christ loves more. I hope I've painted a picture for you of this idea of justice that is close to the heart of God, that matters to God. God is not indifferent about the things that we experience in life. I hope you understand that. I pray, Lord, that I've communicated that. But even as high a calling as we have as believers to seek justice, justice is not the highest ethic that we have been called to as Christians. Love is the highest ethic that we've been called to as Christians. Look at the verses I have there. John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Not by your political stances, not by your social causes, by how you love one another. 
1 Corinthians 13, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. I can think of a cause, a good, just cause that might lead you to give everything you have away. But if you do it without love, you have nothing. You could lose your life for that cause that you feel passionately about. But if you do it without love, you gain nothing. James chapter 2, the beginning of that passage starts like this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. You could do great. If you fail once, you're guilty of all of it. And so he turns and speaks to, to the people So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. He's telling them, remember that you're not not condemned for your sin anymore. Speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Justice is not the highest ethic we've been called to as believers. Love is. And we can't forget that. I put this quote in your outline. I found it really pointed and really helpful. John Piper says this, The gospel unleashes in the world a commitment not to live for justice, but to live for more than justice. Justice is minimalist. A life devoted to treating people as they deserve is not a Christian life. God in the gospel Treated us better than we deserve. Amen. We don't get justice in the gospel. God got justice in the gospel. We don't get justice in the gospel. We get grace. And he unleashes on the world the people in churches and then spilling out over churches who treat each other way beyond justice. You shouldn't walk through the day or through your life thinking, how can I be just? You should walk through your life thinking, how can I be gracious? How can I be loving? How can I be kind? How can I go the extra mile? How can I, when I am sued to go one mile, go two miles? When I am sued to give my coat, give them my cloak as well. The gospel unleashes way beyond justice. So Christians shouldn't be known mainly as the justice people. That's minimalist. You start there and then you go beyond. And he finishes by saying this. So Christ will be known in the culture when we treat people better than they deserve, not as they deserve. Love is the highest ethic that we have been called to as believers. So as we wrap up, God is writing a story of ultimate justice that will one day culminate in the kingdom where we're with him forever. In God's kingdom, there's going to be a great multitude that no one can number from all tribes and peoples and languages. There won't be any more injustice there. As you live out this life, you're also building a kingdom. You only have so much time and so many resources throughout the day. As you think in terms of justice... Who receives justice in your kingdom? Let me say that again. 
Who receives justice in your kingdom? Who has shown grace and mercy in your kingdom? Who is a neighbor in your kingdom? Who is welcome and who is not welcome in your kingdom? Who will you give food and clothing to and who will you turn away? Who will you send back to where they came from in your kingdom? Does the kingdom that you're building today look like the one will God bring forth that God is going to bring forth one day? Believers, God has called us to seek justice while we are on this earth, and that is a high, high calling. Matthew 5 says this, You are a light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do good works. Do justice so that God will receive glory. I pray that we can be faithful to this calling. Amen? Amen. Amen.